we've seen the, the goodness and the kindness of God to have us as a church family going through this book just with where we are even as a nation and events that have been going on around us. Um, but for me, the chapter 11 just hit home again in both God's goodness and kindness. It's just, I couldn't have imagined a better passage in the Bible to be meditating on and reflecting on all week than Ecclesiastes chapter 11. It was just good for my own soul. And if I can just transfer some of that goodness and the sweetness of this to you, then we'll have been successful. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, page 559. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way of the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. And that'll conclude our reading for this morning. Titled the message straight from the chapter itself, Rejoice in Them All. It says, if a person lives many years, in verse 8, let him rejoice in them all. And so this book that has had a very serious tone all throughout, uh, the preacher being a critic and criticizing almost everyone and everything, we've said all along, but it becomes more evident the closer we get to the end that his criticism does not come from a place of cynicism towards the world where he just ate something wrong for dinner last night and he's in a bad mood today and so he has an agenda to criticize everything, but no, he's observed life in its ups and downs, in its blessings and in its challenges, and he's honest about all of them. But because of what he knows to be true about God and who he is and how God works, he holds out for all of us that there is a hope that we can have. And in that hope, there's a joy that we can experience. And we can experience that joy in all the days that God gives us on this earth. So we say, well, how do we get to that place of joy when we've considered all the facts, when we've been honest about the challenges and the anxieties and the concerns that are out there, when we've kind of lifted the lid and and had exposed to us some of the darkness in our own hearts and the darkness that is around us. And part of what he goes through to explain is just as many times that we can't explain why certain things happen in a negative sense, we also experience the faithfulness of God that things happen that we couldn't have planned or known or predicted but work out in ways that we never would have dreamed of from the beginning. And there are events that happen in our lives that remind us 
that even the darkness we experience and the pain and the loss, though they are limits for us, are not limits for God. That he is somehow able to work in the midst of trial and pain and darkness and do things that we never could have thought possible. To bring about good that we never would have imagined or even known to ask for. He says, when you and I really believe that, what will become characteristic of our lives is what's described here in chapter 11. He says, cast your bread upon the waters, give a portion to seven or even to eight. Cast and give. When you read uh, verse one, don't imagine feeding the ducks you know, by a pond and literally taking bread and throwing it upon the waters. Think in ancient times of the primary means of getting one thing from another was through water, was taking something and putting it on a raft and sending it downstream or putting it on a ship and sending it out so that you could trade what you had with other people. And so he's saying as he's considered all of life, cast your bread upon the waters. Be willing to still engage with other people. Be willing to give things, trusting that after many days you'll find it. There is the sense, though, it's not quite like just throwing bread on water that's immediately going to deteriorate. There is risk involved. There is a bit of uncertainty. Do this, though no one can guarantee you anything. You don't know exactly what's going to come back, but if you've seen enough in looking backwards in your life how God has done things that you couldn't have expected or imagined, then looking forward, realize you can still take meaningful risk. You can still expose what you have. Instead of just trying to hold on to it, you can put it on the waters. You can send it away and believe that the God who loves you and has been faithful to you all the way up until now will continue to be faithful to you. And then when he says give a portion to seven or even to eight, again, he's talking about the the resources that someone would have. He's talking about diversifying them. He says, for you don't know what disaster may happen on the earth. So again, there's nothing superficial here. He's still being honest about the challenges that life brings and the uncertainty that he brings. But he says, instead of allowing all that uncertainty to get us to be inactive and to do nothing, he says, keep on giving. When you're giving, when you're investing, when you're casting, do it in a variety of ways to a variety of people because you don't know whether one thing's gonna succeed or another. So not only be generous, but be diverse in your generosity. Trust that though disaster may happen in some ways, that's not going to be the story in every way. And if we're consistent to give and to give in a variety of ways, we can trust that God will bring things back in a way that we couldn't otherwise imagine. And then he gives the picture in verse 4, listen, if you observe the wind, you're not going to sow. He who regards the clouds will not weep. This is something that you and I will do by faith. It's always going to be an act of faith, and however long we live on this earth, we're always going to need faith in order to do what it is that God wants us to do. There's never a point in the Christian journey where we're no longer walking by faith, where risk isn't a part of the equation of what it means to obey God, and uncertainty and ambiguity. But as we get to know God more, we realize that the risks we take in him are risks that we're taking in someone who we trust completely. Though he doesn't give us all the answers ahead of time, he shows himself again and again at the times that we most need it, he proves faithful. 
As I think back on a couple of stories that I, I know through friendships and relationships of ways in which God has done this, and as I thought them through again and they hadn't popped into my head in a while, they just built my faith up to hear them. So one of them, picture a young man named Robert in 1930. He's in a Model Ford A traveling from Iowa to the Mayo Clinic with his father. His father's gotten a procedure from a local hospital in Iowa, but it didn't go well, and no one nearby could treat him ultimately for what he needed. And so he had to make a drive to the Mayo Clinic back when it was the Mayo brothers who ran the clinic. And so he went with them in this car with his father, hoping that there would be sufficient care provided. And it was. And his father had the means to pay for it. And he said, so here, I want to pay for it. But his father was a pastor. And it was a policy when the brothers started the clinic to say, we're not, actually, we're not going to charge anyone who is connected to a ministry or anyone in their family. And we're going to believe that if we're generous and we give, we'll trust God with all of that. And so though he had the means, they said, no, here you go. Uh, we're just, we're glad to help. And they were able to help. And he was able to continue on in his work and able to know his kids and have a relationship with them. Two years ago, that son wrote a check that brought the total amount of philanthropic giving to the Mayo Clinic to $100 million. Isn't that awesome? So that's from 1930 to two years ago. But in the middle of that, in 1960, the business started by that son when they finally grew it enough to get outside of their just garage with two employees to a 60,000 square foot factory making generators burned down. And they thought everything they were working on was lost. Every employee in the community showed up to the factory hearing that it had caught on fire. And just out of compassion Anyone who could started working and whatever parts were still usable, they assembled together and they didn't miss a single order. They, put, they assembled the generators in the parking lot until they could rebuild the facility. So at five years old, driving a car that can barely handle driving, can't go more than a certain level of speed, in 1960, seeing what looked like a complete investment totally gone, to then seeing a wealth of resources to be able to give, and that only represents one gift of many gifts that have been given by this family throughout the United States to various causes. I've been blessed to have two meals with that gentleman, one dinner and one lunch. You'd never look at him and talk to him and know that he had as much money as he has to give. Because he would look back and then say, this is just what Dad taught us to do. He told us to work hard. He told us to, to keep trying your best, to keep doing whatever it is you're capable of doing to the best of your ability. And so just like there was compassion initially shown on the part of the doctors to say we don't want to charge, there was a son generations later who said, but you know what, what you do is just as valuable as what anyone else does. And we need doctors in the world, and we need work, nurses in the world, we need researchers, we need more knowledge and information. And so a generous gift given. I got an email two weeks ago from the school administrator in Serbia where I went to teach. And he was, had this experience where one of the students came in, he was one of my students, young man, whose father had passed away. 
and he was coming in for counseling, and there it's still the case where if someone passes away, they're usually buried within 24 hours. There, there's not a lot of time given for family to come together and, and resources to be provided. So as a very young man, he was dealing, one, with the loss of his father, and then also the fact that he was now going to bear the financial responsibility for that loss. And he was sitting there and said, I don't know what to do. So the school administrator grabbed a book off of his shelf, not knowing if it would necessarily be helpful or not. The book is entitled... Um, the Hardest Sermons You'll Ever Have to Preach. By, uh, Brian Chappell is the editor. And it's a collection of sermons over the last 15 years um, preached in very, very difficult circumstances and times in various pastors' lives. So he pulled the book off the shelf just thinking that this will be a helpful resource as he prepares at the idea of officiating in part his father's funeral. Opens it up and a bunch of money falls out of it enough money to give directly to the student so that he could pay for the cost of the funeral. Because someone had the foresight to say, man, whenever someone grabs this book off of the shelf, probably not going to be a good day. And so I'm going to stick something in that book that is just in some small way an encouragement to that person on the day they grab that book. And it was something that then God used at the exact time needed for the person who needed it in a way that they could look back and say, yeah, he's taking care of us. <laughs> he is still sovereign over all of it in everything that does not make sense. There are just as many blessings that we can look at that we could not have known ahead of time what God would have done with them. And so in casting and giving, he also says to sow and withhold not. Verse 6, in the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. And so in everything he said about how difficult life is, he says, listen, but in the morning still sow, still make investments, still work hard. You don't know what the result of that is going to be one day. And even in the evening, <clears throat> don't get relaxed, don't hoard, but in the evening, withhold not your hand. By faith, in the morning, get up and work. And by faith, in the evening, do not withhold whatever it is that God has given you. And we as Christians are called to this kind of life, one where we are willing to cast and to give, but also to sow and to withhold not our hands to do the best we can with whatever area of responsibility we've been entrusted with, believing that whatever God has entrusted to our care is a way in which we can worship him and serve him and honor him, and so we want to do whatever we're capable of doing with whatever he's put in front of us. And so the quote on the back of your handout says by Charles Spurgeon, all places are places of worship to Christians. All places are places of worship to Christians. It means in everything we do, we, yes, we can sing songs and we can offer prayers and we can open and read the scriptures together and that's a beautiful thing to do. But you can be worshiping God while you're typing into an Excel spreadsheet. You can be working and worshiping God while you're making a delivery of one product from one location to another driving a truck. You can be worshiping God while you're changing diapers and while you're getting someone fed. You can be worshiping God when you're babysitting your grandchild so that his mother or father can be at work. All of that is stuff that can be worshiped to God. The work of our hands is a way that we can honor him in the things that we do. 
the way I experienced this uh, in my own family story. In 1947, my dad's father, my grandfather, living in Serbia, was given a notice. He was working for a pharmaceutical company. He was the, the chief accountant for the company. He already had, I believe at that time, five of the six kids, but was summoned to now serve post-World War II in military duty, which for him was something he would have been unwilling to do. And so he was going to be a conscientious objector, and he knew that that meant a prison sentence. At that time, the prison sentences ranged from two years upwards to ten years, depending on which judge you got and what mood they were in that day. But a minimum of two, a possibility of ten. So the the paper came, the date was set, it was going to be a Tuesday where he was going to go. And so what often happened then was they called believers from all around the various churches to basically have a farewell service. And so they would get together and they would have a song service on a Sunday, but then knowing that Tuesday was the day they were going to go, they stayed around and even on Monday night had a service and they just sang together. And part of the singing was, yes, expressing their praise to God, but part of it was just saying, we're here for each other, and whatever happens, uh, it wasn't a unique burden borne only by my grandfather's family. The whole community experienced this in a variety of ways. And so gathering together to show their support for one another. When the notice came, they sang Sunday night. In that evening service, in one of my grandfather's journals, he wrote what song he selected as the concluding song for that night. Knowing that they were going to come back the next day. The title of the song is His Grace May God Be Giving. This is the first verse. His grace may God be giving. His grace in Christ to all. In him we now are living and we his coming hail. This is the last two verses. So there are no real losses in what for Christ we miss. Our Lord a grace possesses that over all things is to thee lord we are living and still we pray to thee thy grace to all be giving O grant thy grace to me and so he went home with his wife with their children and then monday the next day they're expecting to go back to church to sing again and to say farewell unbeknownst to him his supervisor at the pharmaceutical company runs the next morning on his behalf to the local government office and says, you cannot send him away. So what do you mean we can't send him away? If you send him away, we won't meet any of our reports for, for year-end reporting. He's the chief financial officer. He, he knows the system and no one else knows it like him here. If you send him away, it undermines the whole operation. And so he said, okay, well, we won't send him away. He won't have to report. And so his boss came back to him and said, tomorrow, you don't have to go. And everyone still got together that night and they sang, but now they were singing for totally different reasons. And had that man who was not a Christian gone and advocated on his behalf, I wouldn't even be here to tell you that story. And when I look back at that verse, that In Christ, there are no real losses (laughs) in what for Christ we miss. To believe that by faith, that if we invest completely in God, in his will, in his way, we trust him with our lives, he has a way of doing things that we would not otherwise be able to do. Now, where does that come from? Well, in part, it comes from someone who's choosing to sow their seed. 
who's working really hard every day, doing the best with what they can, trying to make themselves irreplaceable in their place of employment, by faith, believing that if we maintain integrity and consistency and honesty in what we do, no, the whole book has already said, that doesn't mean we become rich, that doesn't mean everything goes well. Sometimes the result is not exactly what we would desire. But God gives us enough glimpses along the way to say, even when we don't see the end result, we can believe that even then it's not the end of the story. If he can do small things in the here and now, then he can do even greater things in the life to come. Because not every story ends with an immediate answer to prayer, an immediate solution to the problem. Death itself is never taken away. All of us will still experience that. But with what we believe in the gospel, even death itself becomes something that we can face in the hope that death is not the end. That there is more than just this life. That there is the promise of eternal life. That in the words of Paul in Philippians, that for us to live is Christ and so to die is gain. And I've been on that end of the story too. And I've seen someone who I loved look death in the face and say, this isn't going to be the end. And so I'm not afraid to die. Because we have hope. We have hope in the future that if he can turn things around in time and space in ways that exceed all of our expectations, how much more can he do that? who has an eternal wealth of resources and an eternal amount of time to make up the difference. It's when we have that perspective that we can look back and say, verse eight, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. And then verse nine, rejoice. So from cast and give to sow and withhold not, it's rejoice and rejoice (laughs) for the sake of emphasis. No, really, there is a way that we can rejoice. We really can rejoice and find joy in the here and now in all of our days. But wait a minute, we have a lot of bad days in all of those days. But yes, if by faith we, we believe that the God who's observed all of our days and who's sovereign over all of our days and is not limited by our worst days and has eternal resources and eternity to still show and shower his love and favor upon us, then in that, in some way that still does not, is always clear to us, he will be able to make even the worst of our days and the deepest of our pains something that, from the perspective of eternity, we can rejoice over. I mean, that's what we're saying by faith, right? That earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure or heal. That's a bold statement of faith because earth has a lot of sorrow. Sorrow that we can't find adequate words to express the depth of pain. And so to say by faith that we believe that earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure, Yeah, those are the songs we sing. That is what we believe. That is what makes it possible for us to rejoice, however many years we have, in the joy of all of them. 
Not because every experience is necessarily worth rejoicing. Not because there weren't a million bad days along the way. But because we do believe that the God in whom we've placed our hope, who's sovereign over it all, is not limited in the ways that we are. And so we can rejoice in them all. Rejoice in our youth. And know that God is watching over us. And then verse 10, he ends by saying, So remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. If we're going to be able to cast and give and sow and withhold not and rejoice and rejoice, we have to pay attention to verse 10 as well. Remove vexation from our heart. Put away pain from our body. If it's hard for us to get to the place of giving away our resources and some of our things and blessing other people, he's saying, well, if anything, it should be easy to give away. Give away the vexation. Give away the anxiety. Give away the things that only weigh you down, that only bring pain and suffering upon you, whether that's bitterness or regret or shame, the things that tie you and I down, that keep us from moving forward, that keep us from continuing to sow, that keep us from continuing to cast and to withhold not. He says, we all have them, but we need to remove them as much as we're able And so reading that verse, it made me think of Jesus who invited his followers, said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. That rest is something that he promised that we can experience here and now if we come to him and we lay our anxieties upon him. And so Peter uses the phrase, cast your anxieties on him, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. But before he tells us to remove those things, he gives us reasons to trust him and to believe that we can let them go. So he doesn't start by saying, you got to get all these things out. He says, here's all the good that God has in store for you. Here's why you can trust him. And you can, you can look at the clouds and say, I'm going to sow anyway. And you can believe that his purposes for you are good. And when we get to that place of fully trusting him with the whole of our lives, and then he says, now there's some things you do need to remove, that we would be open to that, that we would hear that, not as God who's angry at us and just standing ready to punish us, but who in his love for us says, so let go of this, which is only hurting yourself, and let go of this, cast your cares upon him because he cares for us. One of my favorite singer-songwriters, Sandra McCracken, took those verses in the Gospel of Matthew and then put them to song in what's almost kind of a lullaby. So we don't usually do this, but this will basically be uh, our way of closing in prayer is just to have this song played overhead. But it's, it's a paraphrase of the words of Jesus, the invitation to come to him and to find rest and to live by faith in him. And so I just invite you to then make it a time for you if eyes closed and heads bowed in prayer. And then when that song is done, a praise team will be up here and we'll stand and we'll all sing together and again proclaim our faith in God.